Welcome to WDFG, Dear Final Girl Radio, the advice and horror podcast where life problems have an answer. Now here are your hosts, Lori and Tamara. Good morning, Lori. Good morning, Tamara. How's it going? Oh, gosh, it is going. It is going. How about I, yourself? I agree. I haven't had a shower. I feel Ooh. very greasy. Your but... hair looks fantastic. Well, thank though. you. I just it just looks like this when I wake up. Is that magical? <laughs> woke up like this? Isn't yeah. Isn't that magical? <laughs> it is magical. Um. Yeah. Currently, you know, in a in a war with a, a zit that wants to, uh. you know, emerge. <laughs> That's the one where you thought I had toothpaste on my chin, but it's really just Neutrogena on the spot. You know at I me. would want somebody to tell me if I had toothpaste on my face, which I probably. Actually, do but no, you look lovely. I don't see any trace of toothpaste. Thank you, thank yeah. you. Um, I uh, did take a shower this morning, but you are uh, ahead of me. Yeah, I've been up since five o'clock this morning. You know what really makes me happy? I'm going to like this is um, Kim, no Kim only Zool. So, yes. like in the morning, I should be journaling, but instead, often I'm just on Twitter. And Kim and Seth are both very early morning people. That's and right. so I see them like five o'clock in the morning, five thirty in the morning liking <laughs> stuff and I'm like, Good, I'm glad I'm not the only one. So shout you, out to you other early morning folks. Yeah, that that is great. Those those two and there are several others who are really consistent about just every day. It's like good morning horror family. Yep. Hope you have a great day. They usually will make a reference to a movie and have an image, but <laughs> mm-hmm. I appreciate those guys so much because consistency is not is is not really my thing. Oh, me neither. Uh, unfortunately, but I, I agree with you. <laughs> right. I agree with you, and I do find myself, yeah, I do find myself in the Twitterverse. Uh, when I really should be in the writer verse, yeah. <laughs> you know, it all right. it all ends up getting done. So yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I read. Uh, gosh, speaking of tweets, I read a great tweet yesterday by an author that I really like. Her name is B. E. Schwab, and um, she writes about like magic and stuff like that. That's oh, um, And uh, she has a series called The Shades of Magic, but. She also has, um, I think it's called Vicious is the first book. Anyways, lots of really cool stuff that she writes about. But she wrote, uh, she tweeted yesterday something like, if you write 10,000 words a day, the book will get done. If you write 500 words a day, the book will get done. If you write, you know, 50 words every week, the book will get done. The only time the book won't get done is if you quit. And I was like, ah, thank you for the reminder and also for dragging me. <laughs> like, yes. come on. I know. I know. <laughs> that is, I think that is great encouragement. Um, there was, I came across a similar thing on the website of a local, and by local I mean Nashville, uh-huh. organization called The Porch, which oh, yeah. you're well aware of. Uh-huh. It is a local writer's collective, mm-hmm. which sounds way too fancy and a little bit ex- a little bit exclusive, like not in a good way. Right. Absolutely the opposite of how they are, but it's basically just a place. It's an organization that offers a lot of diff- different classes, workshops, events, as well as just write, physical writing space. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really a great resource for writers. They have a blog 
one of the blogs was called X Marks the Spot, and the focus was a sentence a day. Now, I think I think that's especially helpful if you are just starting out writing, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because it is rare, but it's also helpful for those of us who have been writing, because if you can just write a sentence, rarely does anyone stop there. Right. This right. sentence is linked to like a bunch right. of, so this, this magic thing happens where it just starts kind of coming out of you. Right. Um, but I thought that but was then really the, neat. But then the um, goal is set real low. So if you get two sentences, look, you doubled your output for right. the day, your <laughs> recommended output. So, yeah. 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 And I actually have, when I read that blog, my goal was to use that approach to develop content around these recurring ideas that just kind of tend to swirl in my head. Like, Uh use that sentence a day to to build content specifically for certain things that I can then pull from because they're ideas that just won't go away. And Uh so that I know I can, I'll be able to use them in probably a lot of different things. Yes. So that that was my plan anyway. I, I have not done that as much as I wanted <laughs> yeah, to. I know, I know. All those, but, yeah, the best laid plans, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, speaking of fantastic writers um, and prolific writers, um, uh-huh. our movie for today. You like that segue? Yes, yeah. I do. <laughs> I was wondering how we were going to pull it off. Right. Um, our movie today was. Uh, is based on a book by one of the most prolific writers out there. I would say, like, you know, this guy and then Danielle Steele <laughs> are probably the two most prolific living authors that actually write their own shit. Yes. Pardon and she me. just passed away recently. I think no, she was like she? 90 years old or something. Oh, no. But, you know, maybe it'll be like a V.C. Andrews thing, and there'll oh, still yeah, be somebody. Danielle Steele books, but right. I don't know, but I don't think she would there, roll that way. There's somebody else that did that? James Patterson? No. Who? Who is the guy? Anyways. Okay. So, like, if you didn't guess already, <laughs> our our movie today is Pet Cemetery, which By was Mr. Mr. Stephen King. Yes. <laughs> I was trying to make up a joke where I like, who? Um, that's not who I was talking about. But it, yeah. Yeah. So. And, and so, you know, as, as follows our usual format, we select the movies that we discuss based on the letters that we receive. Right. And so this week's letter, um, the writer asked us, to keep her name anonymous, so mm-hmm. that that is what we that is what we are doing. Um, but I'll go ahead and read the letter. Go for it. Okay, dear final girl, how do you stop a ticking time bomb? In this case, it would be someone close to me who is on a destructive path. For years, I've seen them put their body and mind through hell thanks to their own addictions. Not unlike those horror heroines that see their own friends or family heading down the path towards the ominous killer of the moment. I find myself hoping for a solution that saves us all. It's dragging down my morale as well as my hope. So what should I do? What's the answer? Signed Anonymous. So very profound letter. And I would say when it comes to addiction, a question that human beings have been trying to answer since human beings started 
putting things in their bodies that altered them mm-hmm. and altered them to a degree that was no longer healthy for themselves or other people. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> I had, um, I think there are a lot of other movies that might have been a more obvious choice and we hmm. kind of went back and forth, actually. Well, I did, and I subjected you to that process. That's <laughs> really okay. <laughs> Just talking out loud. Yeah, that's what we, I mean, you know, much yeah. like the format of our show. That's really what it is. <laughs> Just talking out loud <laughs> with some organization thrown in. But I, Pet Cemetery came to mind for me first because it is like this ultimate example of how far will you go to fix a situation? Yeah. How far will you go to protect the ones that you love, even to everyone's really ultimate detriment? Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's, there's, I mean, just in life in general, just, you know, where, where, where's the line between helping and enabling? Mm-hmm. Where's the line between supporting and, you know, being the kind of crutch for someone that ultimately doesn't help them? And that's where tough love and that kind of stuff comes in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are just, those are just some early thoughts. Um, from the letter what did you what did you think what did you think about like the selection of this movie in general related to the topic of the letter so I mean really what comes to mind when when I think about this letter and this movie is actually the 1989 version. And I asked you just before we started, (laughs) like, are we going to even talk about the 1989 version? But there's a great line that we actually say around our house a lot, which is you don't want to go down that road. And Fred (laughs) Gwynn in the original movie, who was he Herman Munster? He was. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I thought. Um, yeah, so um, when he says, you don't want to go down that road, um, you know, the the ground is sour. Yeah. I mean, that's, <laughs> unfortunately, John Lithgow doesn't have that same sort of homey uh, feeling. But there's also, like, the, the writer's, or the letter writer's sp- perspective, which is kind of that third person how am I going to stop them I can give them information but is information enabling them or is it like giving them the information they need to make the right choice right and John Lithgow in this movie it's almost like he he is pushing them towards the ultimate choice of uh, bringing back the daughter. Right, right. And this, so, I you know, I think anyone who listens to this show is familiar with the, the plot of these movies mm-hmm. and has probably seen them, but we'll back up and do a little yeah, yeah, yeah. plot. So, Pet Cemetery um, is the story of a family, the Creeds, Lewis, Rachel, their two kids, Ellie and Gage, uh, and their cat Church, yeah, can't forget hey, Church. Hey, do not forget yeah. Church. Um, who you know is just 
church church doesn't do anything to help those uh, who are already predisposed to thinking that cats are evil, vile creatures. Um, yeah. But you know, he was sweet before. He was right. sweet before. Yeah, he was a great, but he was anyway. a great cat before. before. So they, um, Lewis Creed is a physician. They relocate from an urban environment, Boston, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to a rural environment, Ludlow, Maine, I believe. Right, yeah. To, in order to enjoy a slower pace of life with the idea that there's going to be more time for family, we'll have time together, putting mm-hmm. a focus on the family. Mm-hmm. And like a gajillion, <laughs> a focus on the family. Is that like some <laughs> Christian a bit, yeah, TV conservative, evangel- okay. yeah. Sorry, I just saw like a bunch Political of... Political action committee. Weird... <laughs> graphics in my head yeah, okay. I don't, we don't mean that we yeah don't yeah mean that. yeah but like <laughs> the father wasn't like he's a doctor but he wasn't getting the time uh with his family and so he's moving to um a new career where he's like like the school nurse at a yeah, like a at university, a university. Position. <laughs> right yeah. yeah yeah so they move um we learn early on that his wife, Rachel, is haunted by the death of her sister, whom she was forced to care for Ugh. as a young child. Her sister was horribly ill, really disfigured from, a, from like a spinal, a spinal condition. Mm-hmm. And um, she was put in this really impossible position by her parents, which I feel like is kind of explored more in the 89 version. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's really haunted by this. She's very uncomfortable. She hasn't resolved her feelings about her sister's death and really how she deals with death in general. And then I think another one of the sub-themes is the difference between Rachel and Lewis in terms of their 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 belief system about 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 death mm-hmm. and whether death is the end, which mm-hmm. Lewis is like, yeah, that's it. You die and... It's, it's nothing. Yeah. Right. And so they find themselves in conflict um, when they're trying to figure out, like, how do we tell... Because one of the, you know, the triggering event of the film is the death of their cat church. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are... Deba- Lewis and Rachel are debating how, how do we tell Ellie? What do we tell her... You know, can we just tell her that church ran away? So you get a little bit of a glimpse into how these two characters feel about how what what is a child too young to know and understand? Mm-hmm. How mm-hmm. much do you tell them? Right. Which this could tie certainly into our letter, like mm-hmm. kind of. I don't know how far do you go when you're trying to have open communication with someone? Yeah, yeah. But um. I feel like I'm talking a lot. Do you want to pick up plot summary from there? Or do you want me to just keep going? <laughs> uh, yeah, so Church dies. Then they decide not to tell Ellie that Church is dead. Yeah. Right? Right. The, the night of. Right. And then um, Judd, the nader, neighbor, uh, Judson Crandall, um, he's like, you love Ellie? You love, you know, she loves that cat. Well, you know, bring the cat and follow me, you know. And so they walk out into, like, late at night, they walk past the pet cemetery, past the, um, 
barrier that was put up long ago by the Indians. And it's like, well, okay, right. <laughs> um, and then through a swamp and then up this craggy mountain. And it's like the aggro crag. Do you, and then they get to um, they get to this top of the mountain and you know Lewis is like this doesn't feel right and Judd's like whatever just dig the hole mm-hmm. and put the cat in the hole and they just like chunk the cat in the hole in a plastic it's bag deep enough yeah <laughs> It's a very shallow grave. But the the thing was, dig the hole, put a cairn on it, and then uh, then let's go home. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember if Lewis hears anything when they get home. But, you know, they wake up the next morning and finally decide to tell Rachel that... Ellie. Ellie, yes. Uh-huh. Sorry, Ellie, that the cat ran away. And she's like, no, or, or that he's... De- don't they say at that or no mm-hmm. they, they, they yeah. say he ran yeah. away it's like, yeah. well no because he was scratching at my window last night <laughs> right. you know and they're like no no he wasn't and then boom instant, there he is there he is in the closet <laughs> yeah returned from the grave not quite the same yeah. as he went in so that's the whole thing about this special burial burial place beyond the quote-unquote normal pet cemetery which is just kind of creepy as fuck right, on its right. own um that the that the soil obviously the soil on one hand has the power to bring beans back <laughs> from the dead yeah. but it's sour so when they come back they don't come back quite right right and there is a reference to the Wendigo. Yes. Wendigo. And the Wendigo is like a, a Native American um, myth, mythical creature that's a mythical monster mm-hmm. um, that is like an evil spirit, basically. They don't go into it too much in the, in the movie where they do go into it quite a bit in the and I don't think I remember thinking when they mentioned the Wendigo in this film I don't remember that being mentioned at all in the original original film yeah I don't remember it either but which I kind of I applauded the fact that they mentioned it but they didn't then I was like well you but you didn't really go into it at all didn't explore it at all no but there was uh, I mean when they take church out to the pet cemetery the first time the they hear they hear this like screech like ungodly screech in the woods and Lewis is like what was that and Judd said it's a loon yeah the craziest loon you've yeah, like, ever heard the biggest fucking loon yeah, ever in your life um and then I think it kind of explains, uh, or or it there's echoes of the Wendigo when, well, in the next section of the movie, Ellie is hit by one of these trucks that goes by their house really fast. She sees Church in the road, goes out to play with him, and gets hit by this truck. Right, and the uh of course lewis 
buries his, like they have a normal burial and then Lewis goes and digs her up and right. puts her in the pets or in the other cemetery. Right. 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 Yeah. And it just, just starts a chain of events where basically everybody ends up there. Um, yeah. Rachel has, so, so that, so we've got a twist in this film and that Ellie is the one who was killed and not uh-huh. Gage. Uh-huh. Um, so, you know, the seed has already been planted with church. So, of course, you know, what am I going to do? Yeah, and, and you know what? Yeah, church didn't come back right, and he stinks, and he's, you know, kind of mean now. Mm-hmm. But, no, gonna, we're going yeah. gonna, to plant Ellie be in there, too. Um, won't necessarily go into, like, the, the um, details of the rest of the plot, but just to say that basically... Rachel, Rachel, the wife is killed. Wife and mother is killed. Lewis buries her. Then I think she no. ends up. Or no, Ellie buries her. Ellie, Ellie drags her that out is there, right. Ellie and then buries. Lewis goes out there, follows them out there, and is fighting with Ellie, and that's when Rachel spoilers kills him kills him buries him yeah and gage was left in the car and the three of them come back the next morning yeah and they're basically coming after gage so they're gonna be like this entire zombie family (laughs) lovely now here's here's there was a line i don't know if it was in the novel because it's been so long since i've read it but there was a line that Judd says, um, Judd Crandall, mm-hmm. that just so powerfully tied to the letter. He says, once you feel the power of that place, you make up the sweetest, sweetest smelling, I think is what he says, the sweetest smelling reasons to go back. Mm-hmm. And to me, that that summarizes addiction perfectly. Oh, Yeah. Because even when I watch the film, and both versions, but mm-hmm. even when I watch the film, and I'm I'm already tied in because I'm a horror fan, so I'm willing to I I just instant I, I I don't even suspend disbelief like it just it it suspends itself right like yeah that yeah process yeah. happened a long time ago. <laughs> There's nothing I do. I'm just in it. But I do, I do find, and maybe it's because the film is relatively, is short. I just find this film, I find the adaptation of this book in film, it really needs to be longer to explore some of the other themes. But anyway, mm-hmm. even I feel like, my God, you know, the speed with which these people are like, yep, buried, buried up in the pet cemetery. Yep. When you know what's going to happen. I mean, Judd has a, a history with this place. He knows that mm-hmm. people and things don't come back right. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, it's hinted at, or actually said, because his wife, Norma, says, he did it to me, and I can tell you that they didn't, that I didn't come back right, and now I'm in hell. Yeah. Um, so he, Judd's already done this and had to kill Norma. Right. Was time. that in the novel? I think so. God, I didn't remember that at all. Because I feel like Norma as a character always gets short shrift in the film adaptations. Mm-hmm. I, she's she's mentioned more in the new version right. than she, she is in the original. 
Um, they did a cool face shift thing from Ellie to Norma yeah, in they did. this one where it was subtle, but you were like, why does Ellie's face look weird? And then she speaks in Norma's voice and as Norma and yeah. whatever. Um, and I think that, so I just want to say that line again, because once you feel the power of that place, you make up the, the sweetest reasons to go back. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, it's, it's love. It's this, it's this love that, that Judd, this, this feeling of connection he has for the daughter, Ellie, mm-hmm. that leads him to share with Lewis, hey, uh, just bring your cat and come with me. Um, it's Lewis's love that drives him to bury Elliot there. And then, of course, you know, just this whole chain. So, love is this, mo- love is this motivator. I don't, I don't want to let go. I can't handle my grief. There's something that looks like a solution, but they keep going back to and the same solution that mm-hmm. is not a solution at all. Right, and you ignore all of the negative effects. Yeah. You ignore, you know, that... Gosh. Um, alcoholics, even though the hangover gets worse and worse as you get older and your body is less able to deal with the alcohol you're just going to keep going back because maybe this time it's not going to be like that or it doesn't that doesn't even matter because i'm not even seeing past the oblivion that the alcohol is going to give me or the the good feeling or the the good person that i'm going to become the fun person or whatever right like the the immediate gratification becomes the sole focus and everything else just kind of disappears. Yeah. So, you know, having Ellie back, it doesn't matter who she is or what she's like. And he even puts up with her when she, like, starts throwing shit around and, um, you know, she puts on the dirty dress again. Oh, and when she starts dancing in the living room? Mm -hmm. Oh, that was creepy. Yeah. Yeah, I think that because I used to drink too much. I used to drink too much. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I've I went through all those things. You know, I would drink too much. I would have just the most horrible hangover, and it would always be like I'm never doing this again. Never like you just feel like dog shit, mm-hmm. and you think I can, I'm just never going to put myself through this again. But I did, mm-hmm. and it I was did. it would. For me, it would be near mere hours later. Yeah. It was like, wake up at, you know, whatever time in the morning, and 12 hours later, I'd be like, well, yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, maybe this drink will make <laughs> me feel better and kind of right. cut the hangover. The whole hair of the dog. Uh, uh, yeah. Hair of the dog theory. Right. Now, as we were talking about this, I thought about the... That barrier, that, it has a specific name, doesn't it? The barrier between, mm-hmm. the, the bram, well, I called it the brambles. That's not what they called it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that barrier between the normal pet cemetery 
And in the book, what is the Mic? It's the Micmac Indians, I mm-hmm, believe, their mm-hmm. burial ground. So I kind of think of that that um, that barrier as like um, like that line that line of decision between you know on one side is like sobriety mm-hmm. or just you know just a daily decision on I'm not gonna drink or I'm just gonna right. have a little bit and then you go up you go up to that barrier and then on the other side of that barrier that's where I mean that that's intoxication that's like mm-hmm. just the decision An avalanche of bad decisions yeah you so you cross you do cross over mm-hmm. and that that can happen every time you drink to excess there's a point at which the conviction drink whether it's alcohol whether it's pills mm-hmm. whether it's you know any sort of addiction. any sort of yeah you have a you have the life before you have the decisions the conviction that you have up to that point and then the inhibitions fall that familiar feeling begins to mm-hmm. wash over you it just takes over um all of the reasonable decisions that you had made right and right. they just they fall like a house of cards uh-huh, you know mm-hmm. and the the ease with which that happens is um it's it's frightening. Mm-hmm. It's frightening. Um, so I think that ends up being a good. I mean, this nobody's saying this film is about addiction, but we're but we, you know, we're seeing we're seeing the connections and right. the metaphors. Right. What's weird to me about this is that about this particular movie is that Judd is Judd was such an enabler, and he then. Was. He, he was really like, like a drug dealer. Um, (laughs) because, and I I say that because of one line after church comes back, he's, and Lewis goes over there and is like, Judd, the cat is back and the cat is not the same. Like what's going on? And he kept saying Rachel's cat or sorry, Ellie's cat, Ellie's cat. And... Judd says, isn't that what you wanted to save your daughter from the truth? The soil of a man's heart is stonier. That's your cat now. And so... There's so much there. Yeah, he's he's saying, you know, listen, like, you're the one that's... You did this. You made the decision to do this. And now you own it. (laughs) What's fucked up is that he didn't tell exactly. Lewis what the effects were. I mean, really, that should be Judd's cat. Right, really. exactly. He's exactly. the only one who knew going in what right. the consequences were. Yeah. But there, there is so much there. So, saving your daughter from the truth. I think that, and the truth being that People, the, the the things, the people and the and animals, mm-hmm. you know, the beings that we love, they they die. Yeah, and maybe maybe we're the one who <laughs> we die first, whatever. Mm-hmm. But but w- this this our life here is is not permanent, 
And so I think that with, you know, with addiction, there is the desire is to avoid. It's to avoid the truth. And that truth can be, is, is very individual and complex for each person. Mm-hmm. You know, there may have been life events. I mean, just, just, just bad shit happens to us. And we know that, sub, you know, addictive substances are, are um, a, a coping mechanism. Yeah. They're sort of like a misguided coping mechanism. Mm-hmm. Um, addi- now, I, you know, addiction, people have different theories and opinions about this, but that, that addiction is, is a disease you know, it does run in families. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. it's hard not to see it as as having a as having a, a disease and genetic compo- component. Mm-hmm. And maybe that that. But when you pile on top of that, just the shitty things that happen in our lives. Right, emotional trauma you know, and yeah. Exactly. It's like it's escape. It's coping. And. You know, it's so hard to talk about this. I feel like you know we always have disclaimers at the end of at the mm-hmm. end of our at the end of Not our show. Not a medical professional. Yeah, and I feel like just putting one in right now. But I think as as long as we run from what hurts us and what we're afraid of, it it has power over mm-hmm. us, mm-hmm. and including feelings. Yeah, just. Just any kind of feelings. Uh-huh. I think that is uncomfortable for a lot of people to deal with. Mm-hmm. Just feeling any kind of feeling that feels like too much. It mm-hmm. feels like bigger than you. Mm-hmm. Um, but that confronting the things that scare us mm-hmm. and is, for me, that's that's the answer. Um, now the way that you confront those things, it can look different for every person because I, you know, I've been in therapy, you know, off and on a lot during my life Mm -hmm. and for, in therapy for most of my life, there were certain things I was trying really hard to get to the bottom of because they really were a shadow over my life. Right. And then again, I'll say for me personally, I got to a point in my mid to late 40s that it was basically like I, I I have now reached the point where I have explored this enough I have all the answers I am ever going to get mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the questions that I still have there is no one who can answer them for me <laughs> and then I started moving into a, a frame of mind of how do I just make my life better on a daily basis yeah 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 how do I make better decisions? How do I ground myself mm-hmm. so that as I move through each day, I'm able to stop, to slow down, mm-hmm. to realize that I don't, I don't, I don't have to run. I don't have to rush into a bad decision in order to just make it and have it behind me. <laughs> yeah, shit, that happens. But yeah. yeah. I, I think that that's really poignant because the the answer, like, 
the answer to this letter is not how do I save this person? It's really how do I manage my own feelings about this person's yeah. trajectory or what I see as this person's trajectory. And actually reading this letter had a lot of really um, like I have a connection with this letter because I have a friend that I see moving in a direction that I don't like. And she, um, she is acknowledging her reliance on at least some, uh, substances, at least alcohol. She's acknowledged, you know, various um, depression and inability to move forward and make decisions about things. But the, the big thing for me is like, okay, she and I used to be drinking buddies. Mm -hmm. And now that I'm not out drinking anymore, there's a feeling of like, well, shit like I'm not there to protect her and I was like but I'm protecting myself and like, really her yeah directly her too yeah by saying this is not okay this is I'm not going to be party to this um behavior I'm going to like make these better choices right right and so I shared that you know I I just I used to drink too much uh -huh. you know I did and um, I'm going through a divorce right now. Um, um, that uh, was also an issue for my partner. Mm -hmm. And I really, I made a concerted effort to change, you know, my habit. And it put me on a different path. Right. And... He made some effort, but I think not enough for him mm -hmm. to put him on a different path. And now, I mean, look at where we are. Yeah. I mean, we're, you know, we're splitting up. Yeah, I feel like I've seen all of my friends who have ended up in divorces, um... It's not necessarily because somebody treated the other awful, although that does happen, mm -hmm. you know, um, but more that one person said, I want to make a change. Will you come with me? And the other person says, I can't make that change. Right. And whatever your reasoning behind, I can't make this change, it, like... Maybe it's because you, uh, like, physically can't do it, right? Or because the change messes with your life view or whatever. Or maybe it's because the change really scares you and you're not ready to be that vulnerable yet. And, and that's, a, yeah. And that's, uh, that's all okay. But I wrote down... When you said, how far will you go to fix the situation at the beginning? Mm -hmm. Like, I think that 
part of being in situations like this, like you have to accept that the situation is what it is. Like you have to accept the situation and acknowledge it and then make your decisions from there. Because I think the problem in the film is that everybody's denying that the problem is really what it is. That's right. And that the, there are there are symbols of danger and of warning all around. Um, and it's it's amazing our our ability to ignore massive red flags yeah. massive so like when you, with this with the relation of of addiction and helping others cope with addiction mm-hmm. related to this film i mean in the film you've got like these these semi trucks that are just jesus the Christ. fucking jump scares in this movie they come from those damn trucks <laughs> uh, yes and like i didn't I, I don't think we've watched a movie with jump scares maybe since Halloween. I'd have to think back. And I've seen so many that I don't... Right. But I'm... Most of them have been sort of... Most of what we've watched recently have been sort of like creeping... Yeah. Sense of dread horrors, yes. right? And this, you get both the jump scare and the sense of dread and like... Ugh, ugh. Just general creepiness. Yeah. You know. But those trucks, I mean, you know, we we have those trucks in our lives. (laughs) There there are things that are barreling toward us, Mm -hmm. around us. It's almost like the trucks represent uh, I hate to even say this because I I don't I'm not really sure I'm not really sure how I've feel about this word but it's really like the the trucks represent a certain degree of fate mm-hmm. um things that are both outside of our control but also within it because think about it you can't control whether those trucks are right. barreling around you but you can take precautions so that you don't get hit by them right and that you don't you're not in the road when they're coming by right, <laughs> you right, know? Right, right. Um, another one of the you know um, another one of the the message message deliverers in the film is Pascal uh-huh. who is the young man you know what Poor Lewis, like he moves from Boston for a quieter life. It would appear that one of the first people that he treats You is mean Victor Pascal? Victor Pascal. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. You Jesus. know, yeah, one of the first people he has to treat is is someone who is horribly mangled in a car accident. Yeah. Like you can see his brain outside of his head for God's sake. Oh, you can see his brain. Yeah. <laughs> and like the girl that comes to the door is covered in blood to tell them that this kid was hurt. She's covered in blood and she just goes, his head. And, <laughs> and you're like, oh shit, what the fuck is yeah. happening? But, you know, he's still alive. But yes, he is the sort of messenger and warning like don't do it and is ignore and is just ignored at every turn yeah. you know don't do it go back 
that message like go back you can turn mm-hmm. back you can turn back you do not have to keep going on this path that you are on Judd says Rachel sends Judd to check on Lewis and Judd says if you've done something it's not too late to undo it mm-hmm. and I assume what he's meaning there is not that you can go get Rachel from the graveyard, but that you can kill this other form of her. Right. And, you know, this idea of not only addiction and decision-making around it, both for the person who has the addiction and the people in their lives who are trying to figure out like our letter writer what to do mm-hmm. like what what how can I save us mm-hmm. there's another line in the film and I think it is when Judd is taking Lewis to Barry Church and Lewis asks you know how how far back are we going like how, how far back does this path go and Judd says you know further than you'd ever care to go right Something like that. I can't remember if it's uh-huh. in our bearing church or if it's in another time, but that 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 is so true. When we think about decisions it's as when they're project- drinking wine and uh, Lewis is asking it's Rachel Lewis and um Judd and the kids have gone to bed. Yeah. And Lewis is just like, So what's up with the pet cemetery? Yeah. How or how far back does our land go? Or is it or is it the Indian grounds? Maybe. I think it must be the Indian grounds, like, you know, farther than you'd ever care to go. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is a good way to characterize a a decision path, a trajectory, and it's 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 like if you if you if you project forward and look at the at the consequences mm-hmm. then for for things like addiction continuing to make that decision to use or if you are um, a loved one who is trying to help and support it's just like that continue to do take the same actions and do the mm-hmm. same things that path is going to go further than you ever care to go because mm-hmm. there's no there's not only by luck grace of god whatever your belief system is mm-hmm. does it not does it not have a likely unhappy ending yeah yeah And it's hard, it's hard for us to think about those things. And when, when people are in the throes of addiction, you just simply, while you're in it, you're not, you're not thinking about that. Mm -mm. You're not capable of thinking about that. But I think I'd kind of circle back to the... What we talked about in the beginning, we were talking about writing in the one sentence a day. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Every new, healthy, good practice. I mean, 
I don't care who you are. I'm nodding. (laughs) Everything starts with that first step. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Everything. mm -hmm. Whether you are an addict and you're trying to stop or whether you are a loved one and you are trying to figure out how can I support them in the best way because Mm -hmm. what's going on now isn't working. Right. It sounds cliched, but it is literally... It, it is it, it is not it is it's not that one solution that saves us all as anonymous says in her letter right it, it's 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 that one step mm-hmm. it's that one step at a time and whether that's like um, inviting the person to do something that has no possibility of or at least you're not providing um, an and a similar outlet for um, pursuing the addiction. So, like, what I was uh, being unclear, what I was thinking of is that, you know, when I have hung out with this person in my life who I'm very concerned about her drinking, I would suggest, okay, let's go for a walk. You know, let's let's do this activity that doesn't involve drinking. Um, And I have had several people over the course of my life where we have hung out together and I have become an enabler for them and they've become an enabler for my addictions. And when I often find that if, that when it gets too much for me, when the, the chemical reliance gets too much for me and I try to change the nature of our relationship let's keep the friendship but like base it off of different activities right the person will often make the decision rather to not hang out with me right and that's something that you have to come to an acceptance of that okay I'm making a decision that for myself, I can no longer engage in this behavior and I don't want to see this other person engaging in the behavior either. So if we hang out, we're not going to do that. And even having that sort of conversation with the person like, hey, I'm I'm not doing this anymore. So if we hang out, can we not do that? Right. You know, Um, and then that you have to give the other person the power to make the decision about your relationship. What's more important to them, the relationship or the addiction. And unfortunately, a lot of times people will choose the addiction. Right. Until they're ready to get out of it. That's right. And really you're not even giving them the power. They have, they, that rests with them. Right, their ruby slippers are still on their feet. Right, right. And I think probably, are there other, I have a, I have a good close for us, but are there other major points that we want to make? No, I had fun things that I wanted to talk about real quick. Yeah, let's go ahead. So Judd at one point, (laughs) God, I, I just love John Lithgow in this, um, but Judd at one point is talking with Ellie and Ellie um, 
says something about Winston Churchill, mm-hmm. and Judd goes, "Oh, I know who Winston Churchill is," and I was like, "Because you were him in the Crown." <laughs> oh my God, that's right. Yeah, yeah. That, and you know they had to do that on purpose. You know, oh yeah, they yeah, yeah. They that put that line in. And speaking of, you know, God, they made him look so bad. I'm like, dude, how many capillaries exactly are burst upon your face? (laughs) Because, I mean, I don't know if it was just supposed to be that main weathered, harsh winters, whatever. I think it was supposed to be. He's an alcoholic. alcoholic. That's what I actually, that was the other thing that I I wondered. Um, But damn, yeah. (laughs) So then, like, okay, so... My husband and I, we have one child who's just starting to walk, and it is fucking adorable. Yes, it is. And we've both seen the, (laughs) and I'm pregnant right now, so, and we've both seen the original Pet Cemetery, and when, at Ellie's birthday party, when Gage starts running towards the road, we both, like, clamp down. We just, like... But then the fucking twist where it's not Gage. Yeah. And it's Ellie. And it's like, what? <laughs> like, it. all of that was heart-wrenching. But I love the way that this movie acknowledges the previous movie. Um, because there was a tease, teaser moment with Judd's Achilles heel Yes. Where he's walking by the bed, and I was like, "Oh, oh, you know that's gonna get sliced." Yeah, because in the original movie, Gage, and in the books, Gage gets Daddy's scalpel and slices the shit out of Judd's yeah uh, Achilles' heel. Yeah, which which is one of those visceral horror thing. Just makes it's like, oh, oh yeah. Oh, so I, when I was in high school, I um the basketball coach. Um, snapped his Achilles heel during something. He said he could feel it, feel the muscle and the tendon and everything pull up into his calf. Oh my God. So like that just makes it so much worse for me. Like I think of it, you remember those old window shades where you would pull down and it would flip at the top yes. and it would roll around. Like, yes. that's what I think of every time I think of a I kind of think that's... Snap- yeah. <laughs> that's a, it just makes you Ugh. cringe. Yeah. Well, so here's... So, so other things? Other, like... Other things you wanted to share? No, I don't... I mean, those are just the two fun things that I <laughs> was like, I gotta talk about these! <laughs> so, so, this... what. You were talking about um, your little boy, who I saw walk for the first time just, was it last weekend? Uh, yeah, or the last weekend. weekend. Before? Oh yeah. my gosh, that was wonderful. Right. So, perfect segue into the close, because the uh, I'll relate the letter to being a parent, not not wanting your not wanting your not wanting your child to get hurt, not wanting the person you love to get hurt. Mm-hmm. When a child is learning to walk, they are going to fall. Mm-hmm. If you don't let them fall, they're not going to learn how to walk. Mm-hmm. You could actually, you could actually prevent or delay mm-hmm. 
your child, your loved one, learning to walk and stand on their own two feet. Right. If you if you tried to catch them every time and tried to prevent them from falling. Right. So I think that that leads up to the, the final thing that I wanted to say mm-hmm. is, that, is that this situation, and I think a lot of the situations we talk, talk about, is professional help is, is exceptionally important yeah. in, for the person who has the addiction and also for the lo- for loved ones who are mm-hmm. coping with their addiction and what they see happening to that person. Mm-hmm. This is this is. I mean, I think we, you know, you and I, we talk about therapy a lot in right. these episodes. So we always. I mean, I would always say that therapy is a is a great yeah is a great tool, yeah. and particularly in a situation like this. Yeah, because you're gonna have. You're going to have feelings of guilt and shame and for letting this person fall or letting them learn how to walk. You're going to have all those feelings and learning to deal with your own emotions and your own feelings in a healthy way and not turning to your negative coping mechanisms so that you can get over somebody else getting over something. I mean, I think this is how generational trauma really starts to snowball is that, you know, mom or dad drinks too much kid becomes has to deal with the problems of mom and dad drinking too much and so the kid finds coping mechanisms and so then instead of just having their own problems they're dealing with okay it's it's uh exponential uh accumulation right of emotional baggage that yeah. sort of Oh. Yeah, it's this like you said the snowball effect and when 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 we when we talk therapy I would obviously add to that the kind of professional treatment for addiction that is is just so often necessary. Thera- therapy is a part of that, but with with I mean, you know, inpatient residential treatment Maybe the right answer. Uh Um, Outpatient treatment. Generally, in situations like this, they've escalated to the point where the the more severe the problem or the more acute the problem, the more acute and urgent and intensive the response to and the treatment for that problem needs to be because it's just because it's escalated. Right. So... And, you know, that actually makes me, um, my cousin was in town and she, like, got the flu and then she had a, um, like, her neck seized up when she had fever. Oh my gosh. So, like, she, she had the fever, so she was shaking with chills and then her neck, which already had some musculature, musculature issues, seized up, which then pinched a nerve. So, you know, already, you know, physical issue plus 
flu plus, you know, a cascade of events. And then she's like, well, I've been out of work because I can't move. And she's a nurse and she can't like physically lift people and all that sort of stuff. And she said, these are the therapies that I'm going to. I'm going to physical therapy for like strength and then also for range of motion. And then I'm going to uh, massage therapy and I go to acupuncture and I go to, you know, a couple of other ones. And she's like, in order to fix this acute problem that is severely interfering with her life, she has to take many, many steps and they all have to be working together. And I think that because physical issues, we have, you know, physical pain or we, you know, like Rachel's sister in the movie, she had a crippling injury. We give, as a society, we give those so much more weight than we give like mental and emotional traumas that cause very serious damage and we don't we try to ignore the fact that we have to go through similar therapies and similar um you you know we have to take drastic measures sometimes yes yes yeah totally agree it's it's there's a lot more empathy for problems that show on the outside Mm -hmm. but the fact of the matter is it shows on the outside. Right, it yeah. It absolutely shows yeah, on the yeah. outside. Look at Judd. Right. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it, it really is the, the stigma around non-physical disease states mm-hmm. is is the fact that that still exists is really is staggering. Yeah. Um Well, I hope that we, I hope that we helped our letter writer. Agreed, agreed. Um, and yeah. if... Uh, you don't get something from that. I hope you enjoyed our discussion of Pet Cemetery. Yeah, yeah. I think I think we turn to you know I, we we know who the letter writer is and that person is a horror fan, mm-hmm. and there could be a whole separate discussion on how horror itself is a kind of coping mechanism. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. it helps you explore the dark side. The embodiment in a safe of way. fear. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. You really can go into your fear, but. Um, so keep watching, keep listening folks out there, letter writers, both past, current and future. Stay strong, (laughs) stay strong. And, uh, with that, uh, final girl will sign off for this episode. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. We'll see you later. Yep. Bye. Hey, final girls, final boys, and final non-binaries. Tamara and I are honored to be your dear Abbies of horror, but that's all we are. People struggling just like you. We're not professionals. If you're in crisis, please reach out. We like to promote the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at suicidepreventionlifeline.org, phone number 1-800-273-8255. There's an online chat, and they're even on Twitter. Their profile is The Lifeline, and the handle is at 800-273-TALK. The Lifeline isn't just for life-threatening situations. It's free and confidential support for anyone who needs it at any time for any reason. Just know you're not alone. Tam and I wouldn't be doing this podcast if we hadn't been there, too. Take care.